Hey, hey everyone, welcome back. It's great to have you. We're gonna look at some more of your questions. I'm gonna ramble about uh, maybe some answers I have to them. They might not be the best answers. They're certainly not the only answers, uh, but they are for the present moment, my answers. Um, before we get started, let's quickly do um, some plugs. Check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a completely free resource and it helps people who are going through deconstruction connect with other people that are deconstructing. Uh, if you want to support what I'm doing and help me um, continue to do everything I do for free, um, you can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale, phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, either one of those is a great way to support what I'm doing. You get access to an amazing online community. We do Zoom chats, audio chats. We chat throughout the day in a, in a Discord server. Um, it'd be great to have you in there. Um, and it would help me continue to do everything I do for free. So, yeah. All right, let's dive into some questions. Uh, I'm, in a, I'm, in a, in a, I'm in a punchy mood today, so hopefully we can uh, bash through a few. Hopefully it doesn't affect my uh, the quality of the answers, though. Um but the first question we've got is um, someone asks, like, how do you deal with the um, accusation leveled against you that you're only deconstructing because of abuse or the church hurt you or because you have trauma? Um, and I, honestly, I think that's a great reason to deconstruct. Now, very few people are only deconstructing for any reason, right? Most of our deconstruction comes from a very complex, multiple tiers and layers of things that are occurring, questions we have, things that are um, not standing up to questioning, doubts, different things like that. Um, and so it's very rare that you're only deconstructing for something. You know, generally speaking, you're deconstructing for many, many reasons. But I tell you what, a great reason to deconstruct, to question your faith, to question your uh, church tradition, to church question your, um, your faith tradition and your origins, um, is being abused and hurt and traumatized. That seems like a really, really good reason. You know, I say this often, the analogy I would give is maybe of someone that was in a domestic abuse situation. Would you say to them, you only left your partner and got a divorce because they were beating you? Of course not, right? That's a really good reason to leave your partner. Um, like, what are, we, what are we trying to say when we say you only left uh, or you're only questioning your faith because you were abused? That seems like a really good reason to question your faith. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone will then throw out their faith. You know, deconstruction doesn't have a, a specific destination. But I think it comes down to people's fear. They're terrified that you're going to leave the faith. And there's no good reason to leave the faith in their minds. You know, you have to understand that, you know, we go maybe look at some of the videos where we talk about developmental theory and stages where people are at and as they are conventional Christians. There, there is never a reason to leave the faith because leaving the faith is an eternity in hell. It's punishment uh, from God. It's separation from God. It's, it's, you know, whatever, being on the outside again, being evil, being deceived by Satan and demonized or whatever. All these kind of uh, weird and wonderful things that, you know, hey, most of us probably leave at one point um so to them there is no good reason so yeah of course abuse isn't a good reason uh being traumatized isn't a good reason but to any rational person that can take a step back and look at things it's certainly a reason to at least question that faith and that's how it starts for a lot of people maybe some people question their faith and they realize as as the trauma as abuse as other things cause them to question their faith they go on and become uh, an atheist or agnostic or, or move to a different uh, framework for spirituality and um, others 
question and they realize, gosh, this is a really unhealthy place to be, or these are some really unhealthy doctrines and, and theologies, but there's plenty of room within the Christian tradition um, or the faith tradition I'm coming from for me to believe differently. Um, and so they don't leave their faith, they just deconstruct their faith. Um, it's really important um, to recognize that those dynamics are going on. But at the end of the day, I would just nod my head and go, yeah, okay, and just move on. Like, you don't need to answer these people. We talked about this in other Q&As and different things like that. But like, you know, the church programs us. You know, you must have an answer for your faith. You must be able to witness and, and give good reason for your faith and argue with anyone that's going to argue against God or Jesus or Christianity. You must be able to argue with them and convince them of the, the truth of, of your faith. And, and a lot of that is to do with, um, you know, evangelism and getting people saved and wanting to save people from eternity in hell and all very um, well-meaning stuff. Most of it, a whole other layer, is just you know, fear of being wrong and trying to make sure you uh, build a strong enough identity that can withstand people's criticisms and uh, disagreements. But the, the point being that as we come out of, uh, you know, being in that conventional space of, of faith, um, a lot of the time we still have that component built into us and, and there's components there of we need to please people, we need to appease people, we need to, if they critique our faith, we must defend it. If they critique our beliefs, we must defend them. Um, if they say we're wrong, we must convince them we're right. And at the end of the day, you're never going to do that. It's not going to happen. And so again, I would say, just say, okay, and move on. You know, you do not need to uh, defend your right to question your faith because you went through something that was extremely toxic or harmful, um, unhealthy. Those are great reasons to question your faith. And hell, questioning your faith for uh, not great reason, just, I don't know, you crossed the road one day and you suddenly thought, huh, why am I a Christian? And, uh, you know, if I was born in, uh, you know, Uzbekistan, you know, I might have been a different faith, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. That's just as good a reason as well. There's no wrong reason to start questioning what you believe. That's just part and parcel of life. And it's a healthy part of life to question what you believe so that you can strongly live convicted, you know, convinced of, of what you believe and, and um, live with some gumption behind that. Um, and so, you know, I just think it's a ridiculous question. Like I said, you know, you wouldn't you know, shame someone or question someone for leaving their partner that was abusing them. Um, and yet we uh, immediately find that a lot of conventional people will try and throw us under the bus for questioning our faith when people who are in authority and leadership in our faith hurt us, harmed us, abused us, taught us really, uh, uh, really toxic things that created shame and guilt and all kinds of uh, negative uh, views about ourselves and the world. Those are great reasons to deconstruct. And so generally speaking, I wouldn't even go there though. I wouldn't argue it. I would just smile, nod, you know, smile and wave boys, smile and wave. Um, that's my general approach to these things. You know, you can't win that argument. Um, and what does winning that argument look like anyway? You know, so just leave the argument, just move on. Someone asked, is it normal to feel this much grief? And the answer is, I don't know how much grief you're, you're going through, but yes, yes, it is. You know, you are, as you deconstruct, losing so, so much. And, you know, grief comes upon us when, when something dies, when something ceases to be, when we, when we come out of one season of life and into another, um, when we lose something that we love or someone that we love. Um, and all of that is present in deconstruction. You know, you are 
you, you are dying yourself. Something of your own identity is dying and, and, and you will be reborn in a sense, right? You're going to become born again. Um, you know, you're going to die to yourself. There's a component there that you have to grieve the person you were and, and come to terms with that. You are going to see the death of many of your friendships and uh, family uh, connections, relationships. So many of those relationships are going to die. Maybe not completely. You know, it's not as though your family have, have died all of a sudden. Um, but, you know, the relationship there is kind of done, at least for a season. There's some sort of impasse there for a lot of people. And that's something that we have to grieve, that we have to process. That's, that's a normal thing to grieve. Maybe we've lost a lot of friendships um, because they can't really be around us now that we don't believe what they believe. That's too much um, pressure on their cognitive dissonance. It's, um, it goes against their beliefs about people that would backslide or walk away from the Lord or whatever. And we lose a relationship, a really close relationship, close friendships, close uh, family members can overnight seem to die to us. And that's something you're going to have to grieve. And, you know, we, we lose our purpose, our calling, you know, the, the meaning of life is, is gone a lot of the times overnight. Now, of course, all these things that we lose in different capacities are going to be dependent on how you deconstruct and what your deconstruction looks like, you know. Um, but for many of us, we realize, gosh, there isn't this the same purpose. Even if it changes, we lose something there and we have to come to terms with that loss. Um, for many of us, we lose the relationship with God. And now, even if you still believe in God or some sort of divinity or spiritual uh, being or something like that, um, there is a loss there. It changes, right? So, you know, even if you're still maybe a progressive Christian and you still believe in a God, um, maybe a lot of your concepts of who God is and who you are means that that relationship is forever changed. And something of that relationship uh, dying uh, needs to be grieved. You need to process that and go through that. And so, yes, of course you're grieving. Of course you are. You've lost so much. You've lost so much. Um, and, and, and I don't know how much, I don't know what exactly that looks like for you. I don't know the ins and outs, but yeah, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And you need to take the space and time needed to grieve that, to process that. Um, you know, sit with that grief. Uh, I had a great uh, conversation with Michelle Collins um, on my podcast quite a while back, and she um, is doing her PhD in the psychology of grief for those that are going through deconstruction. And I know she wrote a book recently, and um, that touches on that as well. Um, and so you might want to check that out. That might be helpful if you're really struggling with navigating this grief. Um, you might want to check out that podcast. It's a real meaty one. I think it was about two and a half, three hours. So uh, I'm sure you'll uh, get plenty out of that if, if you want to check it out. Um, yeah, I, I, I do recommend that. But know that this is normal. You're not crazy that you're experiencing such uh, large levels of grief. And at the same time, if you're not experiencing grief, that's okay as well. It's, you know, that everyone is going to navigate these components uh, differently, uh, navigate the journey that they have uniquely because the journey they have ahead of them is unique. You know, what they're deconstructing is unique and what they will move into and through is unique. And so um, try not to compare yourself too much, but know that in the the way that as much as no one is the same as you, there is a great many of people that are navigating the same stuff as you for sure. Um, and so you're definitely not alone in the process of grief um, as you deconstruct, definitely. 
Um, someone asked, in fact, actually a lot of people asked this, um, so I'm going to sum it up in a kind of general question, but how do we navigate deconstruction if all you've ever known is ministry, pastoring, being missionary, you know, some form of um, quote-unquote ministry? Um, and this is a huge, huge question um, for so many people and a huge issue for so many people. You know, uh, maybe you're not uh, full time uh, ministry and you're finding deconstruction hard. Imagine your deconstruction suddenly um, means you might not be able to pay the bills next month. Imagine it means you might not be able to feed your kids. Imagine it means you suddenly have no job prospects at all. Those are scary, scary things, right? Really scary. And maybe you're listening to this and you are in ministry and you're thinking, uh-huh, yes, I know this because this is what I'm going through. I'm scared. I'm worried. Um, you know, I have people that even not specifically in ministry, but maybe in some nonprofit movements and, and, and organizations, but very Christian um, have these issues as well. There's, there's so many people affected by this. I've talked to people that um, are just simply employed in family businesses, but their family are deeply Christian and, and their deconstruction is probably going to result in some instability in their income and their what they're doing for their calling, their life, their purpose. You know, uh, maybe the parents want them to take over the business, but suddenly they're not so sure because, you know, while well, you're not a Christian anymore, you know, there's so many different um, components there. Even if you are still a Christian, maybe you're not the right Christian, right? I mean, there's so many components there. Um, it's, it's hard, you know, I'm not going to pretend that that's an easy thing to navigate. I've talked to some people that decide to kind of wear it out for a while, see how it goes, um, see if they can live life, you know, just kind of pretending, um, you know, some of us do jobs we don't like for a living. Um, that's not that uncommon. And, and some, uh, pastors or missionaries or whatever decide, you know what, I don't have a plan. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just keep doing this for a while and I'll, I'll put on a smile and I'll try and, you know, be myself as best I can whilst honoring, you know, the organization I work for. You know, some people end up kind of tiptoeing on eggshells the whole time doing that. Um, but, you know, maybe an example of this is, you know, I've talked to many people that are in their late 50s, 60s, and they're like, you know, I'm a pastor my whole life. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got bills to pay. Uh, my retirement's coming up. Maybe I should just pretend that everything's normal for another five, six years. Um, and I, gosh, that's an incredibly hard thing to do. And, and I take my hat off to people that um, are able to do that. That's a really tough, tough uh, six years or whatever, however long they've got. That's a tough amount of time they've got ahead of them because it is hard to, you know, all of us that are deconstructing to some degree know the pain of, you know, putting up a front a little bit and not letting people fully into what's going on and not being able to share fully with what's going on in us and our questions and our doubts and our thoughts um, for fear of it having repercussions. And I you know, that's a tough one to, to go through that and the repercussions being you have no job, you lose your pension, you know, whatever it might be. Um, that's tough. But many people do decide to kind of grin and bear it. Um, a lot of people, they grin and bear it with an end in sight. You know, I think it's very rare that people go, I'll just grin and bear it and do this for the rest of my life with no real end in sight. I think it's easier for people that have a retirement coming up, you know, than someone that's 30 going, oh, I'll do this for another 40 years or something. Um, and so that's a big part. But maybe the end in sight for you is that on the side, you maybe get some education or maybe on the side, you do a bit of training or you start researching other job opportunities or you build something on the side. And, you know, like there's plenty of um, opportunities to course correct, you know, and even without um, any kind of ministry component, I talk to people from all walks of life constantly, all day, every day. And some of the people I talk to, you know, they um, they just 
change things up in their life, just generally, sometimes because of deconstruction, other times just for whatever reason. Um, and I talk to people in their 50s and their 60s that take up new career paths. And, and so it is possible. You know, this isn't an impossible task ahead of you. Um, people change their careers all the time. Um, and so it's maybe not as easy for some people, you know, so I'm sure if you have um, uh, an engineering degree and you're a uh, chemical engineer or something, uh, if, if, if you want to change your career, you could probably get into another area of engineering relatively easy. Or maybe even other doors might open to you and they go, wow, you've got an engineering degree. You're probably clearly a quite a smart guy and those skills might translate into something else. Okay, sure, you can do this job that's relatively well paid and won't completely leave you at the mercy of a, a social welfare system or, you know, ending up on the streets or something. Um, that's maybe not the case if all you have is, you know, 10 years experience working for the church and maybe like a two year, uh, you know, Bible college uh, uh, certificate or something like that, you know, that's a very different uh, situation to be trying to move sideways in. You know, a lot of people are gonna look at that and go, that's not that relatable to our industry. It's not as relatable to all sorts of things. Now, in saying that, you know, one thing that leadership does uh, do in the church is it trains you in a lot of different things. It trains you in a lot of unhealthy ways as well. Um, but there are plenty of uh, skills that you've developed that will translate. And so I think, you know, um, being very clear with that, you know, being able to articulate that on resumes and in interviews and things like that um, is very likely if you've been a pastor, a missionary, a leader of some sort in ministry, you're probably relatively charismatic. You're probably quite likable. You probably have good people skills. Um, you've probably got quite organizational skills. You know, there's a lot of stuff going there for you as you start to look forward. Now, I do see some problematic stuff. Now, we just saw a lot of this in uh, the last kind of week or so. There's a bit of drama in the deconstruction uh, movement, maybe last two weeks, I think it was. No, I'm thinking I'm recording this, but it's for next week. So probably two weeks ago. Um, you know, we do see that people that are in those powerful positions as pastors often um, just kind of pivot into other positions of authority and power. And that can be very problematic. You know, the, there can be a lot of things that don't get deconstructed that maybe should be deconstructed in that process. You know, it's very easy for uh, someone that's been at the forefront, has been a voice of power, of authority, has been the, the person with all the answers. It's very easy for them to try and navigate into becoming the person with the authority and the power and the, all the answers in the new space, you know? And I have to hold my hands up and say, that's exactly kind of what I did in my first couple of years of deconstructing is I kind of, um, I kind of navigated that and I, I did become the person with all the answers and I didn't really deconstruct a lot of um, the ways that I have in the past very much centered myself as a white straight guy from the West and I obviously clearly know all the answers to everything or whatever that might have looked like. Um, and it took me a while before I realized, gosh, you know what, that's not necessarily very helpful. Um, and it's actually one of the main reasons I started to do interviews on my podcast. And it's why I tried to prioritize um, black, indigenous, people of color, um, uh, non-cisgendered uh, male uh, guests. You know, I try to figure out how can I try and elevate different people. Now, that's problematic and hard to do in this movement as well, because 
feels like anyone that's got anything to say often feels like it's some random white straight male. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's real problems with that. And I think that's something that should be considered as you navigate this, you know, as you come out of a place of authority and leadership and power, that's a big ego hit to lose that. It's, it's not easy to lose that, um, that respected position, that position of power. Um, letting go of that can be quite a painful hit to the ego. You know, talking of grief, that's one that you might need to grieve quite a bit. Um, and that's okay. You know, like, you know, I'm not um, shaming anyone for being brought up in systems that elevated certain people into power. You know, we're all um, products of our environment in, in a sense in that way. Um, but once you're aware of that, it is maybe something to be thinking about and to be thinking about how do I transition out of the position I have without replicating some of the unhealthy components that are present in my ministry. You know, if you're a pastor, um, maybe you don't think about just s moving sideways into a position where you're, again, just the point of contact for everyone to get their answers from. And you think, you know, maybe I need to look at some other uh, types of work. Now, again, that's hard, right? I, I don't know. I, I think I, I see a lot of pastors going into that kind of line of work, becoming voices on deconstruction or voices on other things or trying to do coaching and different things like that, creating products, selling books, you know, because that's what they know in that world. And it's how they've made money in the past. They, you know, if I was a... Um, I don't know, uh, if I made shoes and I got fired from my job, I'd probably try and find another job making shoes. I, I get it. Like, you know, we, we, we have certain skills in our life and we have things that we enjoy doing and we have to work with that. So all of this to say it's very complex. It's not black and white. Um, and, and it's going to be a hard journey for you if you are deconstructing. There's very um, hard dynamics in play where you might need to hold back from your uh, organization that you work for and not tell them fully what's going on. There might be other dynamics where you're forced to tell people what's going on and, and then put in very difficult positions. You know, there's um, weird dynamics where employment law protects you um, if you're in a, in a relatively <laughs> um, civilized part of the world. I don't know what the right word is for that, but certain parts of the world probably have better employment law than others. Um, I'm thinking, you know, America probably has uh, less uh, protections in certain places in Europe or something or whatever. Um, uh, you know, my heart bleeds for a lot of Americans that have their freedoms uh, so free, so free to be abused by their employers. Um, but generally speaking, you know, if you come to your employer and say, hey, I'm having major problems, I'm changing what I believe and it's causing some problems in this job and I'm not sure how to navigate it, um, they couldn't just fire you. That's just not legal uh, from a good portion of the world. And yet within churches, within ministries, um, that's generally often the, the first kind of port of call is we need to try and figure out how to get you out of here. Um, and so you can end up in really co uh, complex situations. I don't want to minimize any of the complexities involved here. Um, it's really, really hard. You know, I know pastor uh, couples um, where only one person is deconstructing. And then you've got this horrible dynamic where your partner's job and passion and dreams are interlinked with how you navigate this yourself. And, and that's really hard, you know? So... Um, I, I know I've not told you how to navigate very well because I don't know how to navigate. Again, it's going to be so unique to, to you as a person. But I think generally speaking, what I would advise is um, number one, 
try and figure out how to create some connection, some community, some friendships outside of your church bubble. You know, a lot of us that live in the church bubble at least have some friends at work that aren't in that church bubble. Uh, and that can be a very helpful place to process and to connect and whatever. But if you're working for church or, or in that kind of uh, bubble, you really are very bubbled, right? You don't have friends that are outside of this situation. Not to mention that all your friends in that situation, there is a power dynamic there. You're the pastor, you're the leader, and they're not maybe. Um, and so try and find um, out how you can make some new friends. It might be that you join a gym and get chatting to people. It might be that you join a book club or, you know, take up photography at a local college class or, um, you know, and just get chatting to new people that have similar interests. Um, maybe get involved in certain things, have interests, you know, maybe look at getting educated in other areas, figure out what do I love to do? You know, as a pastor, you maybe haven't had much opportunity to explore what you love, right? You maybe went through youth group thinking, oh, I'd love to be a pastor and, and work with youth. And then you became a youth pastor and then you went, uh, got some time out and did a seminary and, you know, now you went to be an assistant pastor and a, youth, and a senior pastor, and, you know, however that plays out for you. Maybe there wasn't actually that much time where you started to learn, gosh, I really love numbers and I love organizing things. Maybe I'd be a great accountant or, you know, oh gosh, I, I really enjoy like um, thinking about how things look and, 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 and making things match together. Maybe I should do something with interior design or, you know, fashion or, you know, like a lot of us never get that opportunity to really explore that when we are funneled through that, that system uh, of, the, of church leadership. Um, and so I think it's good to explore what you love as well. And, and maybe that's something that can distract you from the pain of the day to day as well. It's very likely you're going to have to hold both things in, in a hand each in this process. You know, you're going to probably have to uh, walk this out slowly. You know, you're going to have to um, transition slowly. A lot of us aren't in a privileged place where we can just go, oh, sack it, I'll quit my job and then I'll figure out what I want to do. And at some point I'll make money again. Most of us need a paycheck at the end of the month to be able to pay for the bills. Um, and, and that's most likely you, especially if you're in ministry. Most people in ministry, I know there's plenty of people in the, in the higher up echelons, but most people in ministry don't make much money. Um, and so, you know, you're probably thinking, how am I going to pay the bills if I give this up? So you're probably going to have to hold on to what you're doing for a while, at least, um, you know, stepping on eggshells putting up a front, living behind a, a mask that says, hi, I'm a happy, content, conventional Christian, and and honestly kind of dying inside a little bit, you know, getting home, taking that mask off and thinking, oh, this is the worst. Um, that might be the case for a few months, maybe a few years as you retrain or explore and figure out what you're going to do next. Um, because you can't go from making 40,000, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, um, you can't go from making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year to making twenty thousand dollars a year working at Starbucks until you figure out what you want to do because your bills require forty thousand a year or whatever you make, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's complex. Um, it really is. I'm always here to chat with you. I love talking with people in this situation and helping them process and, and figure out what's next for them. Um, and so, by all means, shoot me a message. I, I can't give um, advice that that works for everyone. I really can't because there isn't advice that works for everyone. Um, you know, when thinking about what you want to maybe go into, I, I'd consider why did you get into pastoring and into missions, into, into the things like that? A lot of people, the reason is because they deeply care. They care about people and they want to help people. Um, and so maybe there's um, areas that you could um, focus your attention on. Maybe you're less likely wanting to be, um, I don't know, uh, 
an engineer, uh, maybe you'd want to go into social work, you know, and work with people that are disadvantaged or needing um, some extra help. Or maybe you'd want to look at retraining as a nurse or something like that. I, I don't know, but something that, that involves caring for people. If that's why you got into pastoring, maybe you have that core passion that can be realized in new and interesting and exciting ways for you. Um, you know, it, 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 it's going to be okay. I say that kind of glibly because, you know, for some people it's going to be pretty shit first before it is going to be okay. Um, but you know, you're going to get there, you know, life isn't over. Um, you've not wasted your whole life. Listen to last week's Q and A where we talked about regret and dealing with, you know, the feelings of having wasted your life, but you will get there. It's going to be okay. Um, people change their careers all the time and it's hard and it's complex and in certain parts of the world it might be a lot harder. I'm very aware that um, a lot of my audience are in America and I'm very aware that America doesn't have the same sort of safety nets um, that a lot of the world has um, and so yeah it's maybe going to be harder for you than it would be for someone that lives in Germany um, you know where you would be able to get free re-education and you might have some support from the government as you do so and, and things like that. Of course it might be a bit harder um, but it's doable. It is doable. Um, you will get there and, you know, set that goal in sight, you know, the same way as that old pastor that's thinking I can do another three or four years before I retire. I, I'm going to retire and I'm going to be free to do whatever I want. You know, set that in your sight, whatever it is, you know, this is going to be a really tough couple of years, but I'm learning a new skill and then I'm going to start my own business on the side and then I'm going to build it up and in time, I'm going to be able to let go of all of my ministry stuff and focus on this new business or whatever it is. Um, you'll get there, you know, but follow your questions, follow your curiosity. Um, and yeah, and make sure you've got a good bunch of people around you. That's got to be priority number one is figure out how to make some new friends, some people in your life that um, are there for you, that love you, that support you. That makes the world of difference. You know, people can go through a lot of shit in life if they've got some great people around them. Um, hugging them, laughing with them, crying with them, supporting them through it all. Um, that makes a huge, huge difference. All right. Talked about that enough, I guess. Um, someone asked a really interesting question. Um, you'll notice that these questions are all over the place. I talked about this last week. Um, you know, the first couple of weeks I bunched as many questions that seemed to pair together um, as possible. But as we're growing on and I'm working through these kind of 35, 40 questions, they're getting less obvious in ways that they can be bunched together in groups uh, and so they're a bit all over the place but someone asked is it okay that my views on marriage have changed now um, and you know that's a question that is largely based on your own personal ethics you know um, it, it, I think it's okay for anyone to believe almost anything that, that as long as it doesn't harm them and others really um, and so you know, you need to figure out, you know, what you believe about different things, but it's really common as you deconstruct your faith, many other things will get deconstructed, you know, uh, your politics, your outlook on life, your views on relationships, how you handle your friendships, what you accept in relationships is normal. Um, all sorts of growth and change is going to be going, um, is going to be happening and, and you'll be going to going through. And in turn, for many people, how they view relationships is definitely going to be um, up for debate, you know, you're going to start to realize, gosh, I am not okay that, um, that people think that men should be the head of the household and women should be these quiet, submissive kind of basically slaves. You know, maybe if that's the sort of environment you're in, that's going to be a very real deconstruction point very quickly. Um, maybe it's as simple as, um, you used to believe that you had to get married and now you're like, I don't really see what the notion of a marriage is. Like, it seems like a very, 
um, antiquated kind of power dynamic. Uh, it's you know more to do with the state and family power than really to do with love. And um, actually, I don't really think it's required. I'm happy to find someone that I love and move in with them and and just be in some sort of civil partnership. Hey, that's okay. You know, so like I'm saying. It's okay to reevaluate these things. I think where the rubber really hits the road in how this works is for people that are already in uh, marriages. Maybe they have kids, you know, things like that. Um, it's it's really normal again for you to start questioning your as you question your faith to question your marriage and maybe some of the decisions that led to your to your marriage. Maybe some of the day to days that go on in your marriage. A lot of us. We go through the, the evangelical purity culture uh, funnel straight into marriage, right? We, we're in high school, we're in you know, youth group, we're told don't have sex with anyone, don't date around, you know, you know, you need to be pretty committed to someone before you start dating them and know that it's going to be God's will. And, and then once you start dating, you know, it's fairly fast tracked to getting engaged and then it's very fast tracked to getting married because you don't want to have sex before marriage and, um, and then maybe you screw up a little bit before marriage and so there's even more guilt that, well, I definitely have to marry this person now because I've crossed some lines and you know they're in God's eyes I'm already married or you know all sorts of different things can happen and people think all sorts of different things and before they know it they're 10 years into a marriage and they deconstruct and suddenly they think wait I didn't have to do all that purity culture stuff I could have dated around I could have dated five six guys and thought wow wow what I think I need is very different to what I actually need and, and you could have grown and changed and suddenly you realize Oh, there's this guy that I wake up next to every day or this woman that I wake up next to every day. Is that okay? Maybe you, you're waking up and going, you know what? I don't think I'm actually straight. You know, whatever it might be. You know, there might be some real big questions there. Um, and, and I think it's okay. It's, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Um, and it may well cause a lot of pain and hurt to question some of these things. Um, for some people despite it being a deeply unhealthy culture that led to uh, marriage, for a great deal of people, that marriage was the best thing that ever happened to them. I'm, I'm kind of a firm believer that um, on the whole, we can, we can uh, make a lot of marriages work if we put in the right attitude and heart and we, we, we really give to another person. And so I think generally speaking, a lot of marriages, this is why a lot of um, arranged marriages in other cultures work great. Again, not all at all but a lot you know and and so i think a lot of marriages that might not have been what you would have done for yourself if you had complete freedom outside of uh, some sort of uh, cultic uh, belief like purity culture um whatever outside of that would even believe because probably we'd be in some sort of different cultic belief um you know I, i'm i'm not saying that um yeah, that, that, that marriage is definitely wrong or, or bad. It, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you despite all of that. And so um, even still, you're quite likely to start questioning how that marriage operates, right? You're going to start going, hey, you know what? Some of these dynamics aren't healthy. I know that they're quote unquote biblical, but it doesn't feel very healthy. And I want to set up some boundaries. And actually, I want to have more autonomy. And I want to have a bit more of an individual identity uh, in this marriage or, or whatever it looks like. Excuse me. Yeah, so, you know, it's complex, but yeah, it's really normal to, to start questioning your views on marriage, whether you're pre-marriage, in marriage, post-marriage. Um, it's really, really normal to, to start questioning uh, what you believe about marriage and questioning how you go about being in a marriage um, and making appropriate changes. Now, of course, that's really hard when you're working with someone else, right? So if you're already in a marriage and you're wanting to make changes, that can be very, very hard. You know, I've talked to 
Um, a lot of people that um, as they deconstruct, they realize, gosh, you know, a lot of my relationship with my partner is not very healthy. And actually some of the sexual stuff, purity culture has really messed with me there. And I want to explore more and I want to um, do more things. And their partner is very uncomfortable with that because they still have a lot of those beliefs and that can create a lot of tension. So, you know, any of these changes and, and, and um, desires to change, you're going to have to have some really hard conversations with your partner. You're going to have to set up some boundaries. You're going to have to um, figure out how to move forwards. This is especially hard if your partner hasn't deconstructed as well um, or is much further behind you in that journey and they still are quite conventional. Um, there Maybe if you are deconstructing as a woman, which is more common than, than, than men, um, and you're married to a guy that's still conventional, they might find it really uncomfortable that you think it's okay to take a night off and go have a bath and masturbate. They might be really uncomfortable with you buying a sex toy. They might be really uncomfortable with you setting up some boundaries and saying, hey, you can't talk to me like that. I'm not your property. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of people talk to their wives like their property, but that can be how it feels at times. And, and it's certainly within some of those Christian concepts. Um, and so you set up a boundary like that where you say, hey, I don't think it's okay that we teach our kids this way. And I'd like to teach our kids in a more healthy way um, and more positively orientated growth mindset way. Um, and that might create real tension there if they believe, uh, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child or, or something else that a lot of conventional Christians believe. And so, yes, it's really okay to question stuff, but no, it's probably not going to be easy um, if you're already in a relationship. I think if you're not, it's, it's beautiful because it means that you can really find something that works for you if you want to find something. You know, again, a lot of people in the questioning of marriage and that concept are questioning Oh, do I need to have kids? Do I need to get married? And, and the answer is no, you don't necessarily. Um, and so even figuring that out, but you know, figuring that out when you're not married is a lot easier than when you are married and you've already married someone, you've already committed, and now you're going to be breaking their heart in some way, shape or form. Um, and so, yeah, again, like I said to uh, a lot of the pastors and leaders and things like that, they're deconstructing. If you need to talk to someone, um, I'm always here to listen. Um, I, I'm not a therapist. I don't have any advice for you particularly, but I'm, I'm here to listen and, and to support you in any way I can. So um, you guys can always message me on Instagram. It's just at Phil Drysdale. Um, someone asked a really interesting question, and this is um, very common for people to feel like this. And they asked, how can I be more intentional in my deconstruction? I feel like I'm going nowhere. Now, does anyone feel like that at times? I definitely have felt like that at times. Um, the, the problem with, um, you know, deconstruction is it's not like being a Christian. Um, you know, when you are a Christian, there's a real path set before you, right? That narrow path. Um, there's a real path of like discipleship and, and mentoring and growth. And you know how to know if you're making progress. You start to read the Bible more. You're, you're praying more. You attend more uh, events. And, and you know you're on the right path if you keep doing those things. If you keep going to church. If you've got good church friends. If you have a good Bible study every now and again. And, you know, these are things that you can look at and go, yeah, I'm on the right path. This is this is the path to be on and I'm, I'm, I'm making growth and I'm progressing and I'm growing in my faith and I'm becoming a better Christian and I'm growing closer to God. And all these um, uh, phrases that we throw around, they, they all indicate that we're making progress, that we're moving to something. Uh, and not to mention that maybe we feel that God has given us a purpose. So he's given me a business to run or something like that. And so suddenly it's, it feels like I'm making progress even in, by just being day to day in my business. And a lot of that falls apart as we start to deconstruct. We don't have that same trajectory. It feels quite aimless. 
Um, you know, I talk a lot about um, the pr process of deconstruction is not about a destination. It's about a journey. It's about processing and, 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 and navigating this all step by step. Um, it's not about getting to somewhere. Um, it's about just moving forward, whatever that looks like for you. Now, moving forward for you is going to be different to someone else moving forward. It might even look like you moving backwards to someone else. You know, if you are heading in a direction, your curiosity is leading you to question certain things about your Christian faith and move away from them into maybe some other type of spirituality, maybe some sort of um, Eastern spirituality or something, that move might be uh, seen as a move backwards by someone that's questioning their conventional Christian faith and moving uh, what they would see deeper into the Christian faith by becoming a, a progressive Christian, for example. They might see those two people might look like they're moving in a different direction, but they're both growing in their deconstruction path. Um, and so it can feel really hard to look around and see, am I making progress? Am I becoming more like whoever your, um, your hero is, right? Whoever you are following on Instagram, whoever you've uh, on some level made as your, your next guru, right? You know, whether it's uh, someone on a podcast, whether it's someone that's putting out stuff on Instagram, um, you know, someone big, someone small, it doesn't really matter. Maybe your friend that's deconstructing, you look at them and go, God, they seem to be doing well, but I don't feel like I'm moving in such a clear cut way. And it's probably because moving in that direction isn't right for you. You need to be um, you need to be following your curiosity. You need to be looking at what do I doubt? What am I questioning? And how do I move forward in that? Now, even that can feel aimless. You know, it really can. Um, uh, someone posted on my, on my Facebook the other day, I don't look at my Facebook comments and I, I stupidly look every now and again. And it just isn't helpful for me. They're just not very positive, not very helpful. Um, but someone posted it on a comment uh, on a post that I'd made and they were like, well, this is stupid. You know, you can't get to Alaska without a map. You need to follow a map. And, and the point that they'd missed is that I'm not trying to get anyone to Alaska. And I don't know anyone that's intentionally trying to get to Alaska so why would I show them a map of how to get to Alaska? The point is, I don't know where you're going next. And actually probably you don't know where you're going next. And so driving randomly won't necessarily get you to Alaska. It might, you might actually end up in Alaska and go, fuck, this is a nice place. I'm gonna hang around here for a while. That might happen. But it's not probably the most helpful thing for you to just look at the, the map and go, I wanna go there, I'm just gonna try and get there. Um, because you probably don't know what you need right now. You don't know what you're working through. Um, for a lot of people that are deconstructing, it's not even about developing new beliefs right now. A lot of it is about just losing the beliefs that you had before. It's about evaluating things that you believed growing up in that conventional faith and going, is that helpful for me anymore? Is that healthy? Do I need to let that go? Do I need to put that to the side? Or is it okay? And can I in integrate that in some way as I move forward? That's, that's part of growing, um, you know, and it, it feels like we're not moving forwards, but that, that's a big step of moving forwards. Um, and so, yeah, I think generally speaking, you need to just be asking yourself, what am I questioning? What am I curious about? What do I want to try out? What do I want to check out? Maybe you go, gosh, Eastern spirituality seems so interesting. Awesome. Go read some books on Eastern spirituality. Go pick up the Tao Te Ching or something like that. Like for sure, do that. That sounds great. Um, but maybe not, you know, maybe you're sitting going, I want to question some of these Christian beliefs more. I want to read some theology books. I want to maybe look at, is there a type of Christianity for me, maybe Orthodox Christianity or some sort of mainline or progressive Christianity. And you want to explore that. That's okay as well. And here's the thing. If it doesn't work, that's still moving forward. You're still moving forward. You know, for it, it's just as much a step in the right direction to know that that's not for you 
as to find the thing that is for you. Um, and, and recognize as well, a thing for you is a very um, ethereal kind of um, thing. You know, it, it's there one second, but it's not there the next, you know, just like Christianity was the thing for you. The conventional Christian space was perfect for you at a certain time in your life. It's what you needed. You know this because you gravitated to it and you clung, clung to it and you walked through it. Um, so it's what you needed at that space, what, for, for right or wrong as far as uh, how it panned out, that's what you wanted. Um, and so in the same way, you need to figure out what do you want right now? What's going to feed you right now? What's going to help you uh, right now? And it might be that in 10 years from now, you go, gosh, that's useless. I don't like that at all anymore, but it was helpful for you now. Um, and so don't cling to all these things too tightly either. When you do find something that works for you, when you do find um, a helpful path to go down, don't think that that path is a dead end that you have to stop in. You can keep going, you can keep moving. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, just want to encourage you that it's, it's really um, normal to feel a bit aimless, but um, try not to think of it as um, an aimless driving down any old roads without a map trying to get to Alaska. Try and look at it as an exciting adventure where you choose whatever roads you fancy going down because you don't have to be anywhere. You know, this is an exciting, fun, trip from reality you know just enjoy it have fun um that's that's an exciting and much more fun way to engage with this time in your life in this journey than feeling you've got to get somewhere and um beating yourself up for not being there yet because honestly i don't know if you'll ever get there i mean maybe some do i, I certainly have felt uh, found many people that seem to find somewhere and stay there uh, and so that's great um, but for a lot of people, they don't, they just keep moving forward they keep moving on. They keep going further. And, and that's, that's a beautiful thing as well. And to be honest with you, it sounds much more exciting and, and beautiful that to me than, um, sitting in one static place. And so, yeah, make the most of this, make the most of not having a specific destination you have to arrive at. Um, someone messaged and said, is it important to tell your church that you are leaving and how should I go about leaving church? Now, this is really specific again to the individual. Um, I think generally speaking, if you're the pastor, probably quite important, right? <laughs> it's more of a joke than anything, but, uh, you know, different people are going to have different, uh, felt responsibilities in, in church. They are going to feel more pressure to have a conversation and some people are going to feel less pressure to have that. Um, some of us, as we deconstruct, become less and less and less involved and it is a fairly natural process for us just to kind of drift off um, and just move away from it. Um, the pandemic has been especially helpful for a lot of people with that where they were kind of getting less and less involved and then over the pandemic, it's just like they haven't zoomed in and, and now it's back to meetings. They're just like, I'm just not going to go. And, and that's been a really... Uh, good break or way to make that break for a lot of people and that's great excuse me sorry oh, haven't been sleeping last week or so very well and so uh yeah <laughs> um my wife's away for a week with her family and usually i sleep way better and uh for some reason this week i just haven't slept that well so that's maybe a bit weird but uh random derail but you know for other people they don't feel so comfortable just kind of walking out the back door and never saying anything to anyone you know a lot for a lot of us these this is our life you know we spent years maybe decades in these these places and these are some of our closest friends now we maybe see that they're probably not long term going to be our closest friends things go sideways very quickly maybe they've already started going sideways um but there is something in us that thinks i i want to i want to tell them hey 
this isn't working for me. This is what's going on in my life. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, move away. And, you know, it's not you, it's me or, you know, whatever, have that kind of conversation. And, and that's okay. I think my one um, major point I would try and make, um, let me just silent that. The one major point I would try and make uh, clear um, for you to carry into those conversations is do not allow it to become a theological debate. It's so easy and people will want to have a theological debate with you. If you say, hey, I'm no longer in the same place and question somebody's beliefs, I'm moving on. They're going to know what beliefs you're questioning because they have the answers and they will save you and they'll keep you and they'll get you in that church again. That's their goal. Um, and so I just would be really strong in not engaging with that and just saying, hey, I don't really want to talk about that. I've spent a lot of time looking into it. If you really want to know some of these things, I can send you some podcasts or some books to read, but I don't want to have that argument right now. Um try and avoid those theological arguments, especially with pastors and, and leaders. They they tend to often gaslight and, and employ so much power dynamics. Um, they'll talk over you, they'll use their extra charisma. I've felt a lot of people as they leave have been asked to meet with pastors that are extremely charismatic and loud and they themselves are quite quiet. They're not maybe so confident in what they believe, especially because they're not confident in what they believe anymore. Um, and the pastor just steamrolls them. And, and I think be aware if that's a dynamic, um, you are free to get up and leave. You're free to walk away. You're free to say, hey, that's not okay anymore. You're free to say, I don't want to have that conversation. If you are uh, if you have left or are in the process of le leaving, maybe you decide um, to just completely leave. Maybe you send uh, a text or uh, an email or something saying, hey, I've left, please leave, remove me from your newsletter or whatever else. Um, and maybe they chase you up and say, would you meet with us? That's on you. That's not on them, right? So you decide, is that something that would be helpful for you? Would it be healthy for you? Ask, why do they want to meet with you? Now, don't take their word for that, right? Because they will say, oh, I just want to check you're okay, or I want to hear what's going on. Um, but the truth is what they really want is to save your soul and make sure you're in church. That's really what most leaders want out of the best of intentions, generally speaking. It's not out of uh, some nefarious reason, uh, more, more often than not, maybe on some subconscious levels it can be, but generally speaking, they genuinely want to save your soul and keep you safe. Um, and so be aware, is that something you want to expose yourself to? Do you want to go for coffee and try to be saved? Uh, do you want to be, go to coffee and have theological arguments or anything like that? It's okay to say, hey, to be honest with you, I'd rather not have that conversation. Um, it isn't about you or, you know, you can, you can maybe give them a bit of an ice cream cone, you know, when a kid falls over and grazes their knee, you give them an ice cream cone and by the time they finish the ice cream cone, they forget about their grazed knee. So you can give them a bit of an ice cream cone and say, hey, it's not about you. I think you're great. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the time that you've spent developing into me, um, but it's just time for me to move on and, and I need to move in a different direction now and, and I appreciate you and I wish you all the best and just leave it like that. You know, just don't give them room to to have that conversation if you don't want to have it. If you do want to have that conversation, that's that's okay. It's good. Like I said, I'd probably try and steer clear from arguments and debates because no one wins. You know, you're both in totally different um, places and you have different frameworks for what's logical and rational. And so you both think the other person's being completely illogical and rational, irrational, but they're both being logical and rational based on their own kind of tenets of what those are. Um, but maybe you want to get together. I know a lot of people feel like it's important that they communicate to the church, maybe some of the harm that the church has done. So maybe give them some good feedback and say, hey, the way you responded to Black Lives Matter over the pandemic or to the pandemic or the way that you have militantly supported this political figure or whatever, 
that's been a real key for me leaving. And I want you to know that. And I want you to think about that. You know, maybe you want to do that. You could maybe do it over email, text, something like that. But maybe you want to do it in person. And, and that's okay. You you are very much entitled to have that conversation. Um, but in the same way, the pastor's entitled to have a meltdown and strop, you know, leave the conversation or whatever. You know, he, he's an autonomous person as well. Um, and it may well be that they do get very defensive if you give them that kind of feedback as well. And so bear that in mind as well. Um, I think whatever your reason for leaving, I would be uh, detached from controlling the narrative. You know, you might think, well, I want to meet with the pastor. I want to talk to people about leaving so that they know my reasons and they understand that it's not because of this or that. That's not going to happen. You know, you can say all that stuff, but when you walk away, when people say, oh, why did Julie leave? Why did Bob leave? It's going to be, ah, they just didn't have a strong enough faith or they, you know, they started questioning and they, you know, their their connection to God wasn't strong enough. They I guess they were never saved. You know, all that language is going to be happening behind the scenes. Whether you um, are... Uh, clear and articulate in why you've left or not you know i mean i am publicly clear about what i believe uh to some degree i mean, i don't focus on what i believe but you know i'm publicly clear about different things and and you know i i speak often about my past and and how much i believed and yet i still even though i've articulated very clearly how strong my faith was and what caused my deconstruction people still go oh they never believed he never believed before he must have just been a fairly you know um uh, fairly lackadaisical Christian, kind of like just a, a pew warmer, never mind the fact I was traveling and speaking in hundreds of churches a year and, you know, studying the Bible full time and learning Greek and all these different things, you know, like, never mind that, that's not relevant. Um, that's the information that's out there publicly and still people will say all sorts. So I think, you know, trying to control the narrative around yourself is probably not a great reason to meet with the pastor because you're probably going to get steamrolled and the narrative will change anyway the second you walk out the door. They're going to control what they say about you. Um, I've seen this again and again and again in churches. And it's not even about you, really, honestly. It's about their insecurities. It's about them feeling that they need to... Um, somehow control how the church seems you know uh, they need to enter some sort of cognitive dissonance they can't possibly fathom that an intelligent smart um person that was full of faith started to question and realized now nah, i don't believe they can't allow that narrative because it might mean that they might question and doubt at some point they need to have a belief of satan got hold of you it must have been a secret sin it must be that you weren't really passionate it must have been you were a wolf in sheep's got you know they need to believe that for themselves and for their uh quote-unquote flock or whatever and so whether you articulate it or not they will create a story that helps them feel safe certain and secure either way um, and so, yeah, as, as you kind of leave church and, and how you talk about um, that, you know, it's, I'm not saying don't meet up with friends, people that you're close to and say, hey, this is why we're leaving. We'd love to stay friends. You know, maybe some people will um, stick with you through that. You know, I see that often. Um, a lot of friends will go, uh, we just feel really uncomfortable and or maybe they'll be like, oh, that's really nice. And then they'll just stop kind of messaging and, and hanging out. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different outcomes. But yeah, by all means, tell people your journey and your story. And you can tell the pastor your journey and story, give them that feedback. But I would just say, don't be attached to them uh, representing that story uh, accurately because they can't. They can't engage with that kind of um, understanding and belief because... It causes too much uh, internal 
um, turmoil and uh, <laughs> dissonance. They, they really struggle with it and, and they can't deal with that. That's not possible. There's too much to lose. You know, uh, the sunk cost fallacy is way beyond uh, the point of uh, bailing. Um, yeah. All right. I think that's all I'm going to talk about this week. Um, I hope some of those things were helpful to you. Um, as I said earlier, check out the Deconstruction Network. It's a free resource to find people in your local area that are going through deconstruction. You know, especially I mentioned to, um, uh, you know, people in ministry, it's really helpful to have those uh, friends and people outside of your uh, church bubble. Uh, deconstruction Network might be a great resource for you for finding people that believe differently um, and, and, and have walked away from conventional faith as well. They might understand your plight a little bit more. They might be able to connect with you a bit more. Um, and so that might be a good resource for you. Um, and if you want to join our online community and you want to support what I'm doing, everything I do is for free. I so strongly believe that um, nobody should be paying uh, to have someone to walk with them in this. You know, I, I strongly believe as well that we should be supporting people that are creating content and things like that. And that's wonderful. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with people that need you to buy their book or whatever books cost money. Um, time costs money, you know, all these different things. And so uh, I'm not speaking against anyone that's charging, but I do strongly believe that, you know, a lot of us have been burned by people trying to grift us for our cash. Um, and a lot of us are vulnerable and need help. And I always want to support uh, people in a way that costs them nothing. There's no entry barrier there. Um, and if you want to help me in that mission and, and help me be able to pay the bills, that means a great deal to me. You can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and you get to be a part of our online community and have, you know, monthly Zooms with me and we do audio chats every now and again and things like that, as well as our online discussion platform where we chat all day, every day. Um, be great to have you in there, but obviously never any pressure. I'm always here for anyone, whether they support me or not. I'm here on the Instagram DMs is the best place to find me. You can just find me with at Phil Drysdale. Um, and, and I really mean it, you know, people, you know, message me and say, oh, I've put off messaging you for months because I never know if you really want to get a message or not. Please send me a message. You know, I, I can control my own boundaries. And sometimes I do go, I'm having too much of an intense day. I'm going to leave it a day to reply to something. You know, I, I can control my boundaries, but please message me. I would love to help you and, and, and support you in any way I can. Um, like I said, I'm not a licensed therapist or anything like that. I don't provide that kind of uh, support. But I am here as someone that wants to listen and support you and um, walk with you in this process uh, in any way that might be helpful. All right. I love you all. And I'll see you in next week's video. Peace. If you are deconstructing, there is no reason to do this alone. It can be an incredibly lonely process, but the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help you find others deconstructing in your local area. If you would like to support what I do, everything I do is for free from talking to people for hours on end to producing resources and podcasts. Um, it is only possible because people give uh, generously. There is never any need to give. Um, it will always be free, everything I do. But if you do, we do have an amazing private community group that we talk on over on Discord um, that you would gain access to. And we do regular audio and video chats on there as well. So it'd be great to see you in there. But of course, never any requirement. And of course, please, please, please come and talk to me on Instagram. I love connecting with people. I love helping people on their journey. If you need a safe space to process your deconstruction, I would love to connect. It's just at Phil Drysdale. Love every one of you. Peace.